0: A few months before COVID hit, I presented a topic at the forum discussion group, which was my take on racism and white privilege. And things have happened since then, so I decided to take a more in-depth look at the subject, which I'll share with you this morning. A Little over five years ago, I met a friend in El Paso. I flew out from Houston, he flew in from California, and we met in El Paso and we rented a car and did kind of a whirlwind tour of West Texas. And uh, it was a nice trip. We checked out to Marfa, Davis Mountains, went up to uh, Guadalupe National Park, onto Carlsbad Caverns, and then back to El Paso. But it became clear early on that part of the allure of this trip from my friend was to experience the wide open spaces of West Texas behind the wheel of a fast car. So we rented, or he rented, a uh, Camaro. And uh, he did all the driving. I was just along for the ride, so to speak. And there were times we were doing well over 100 miles an hour don't tell the kids and uh, at one point up near Guadalupe Park we were pulled over by a park ranger and we weren't doing 100 but we were doing about 20 miles an hour over the posted speed limit and over his loudspeaker the officer says all right driver get out of the car and my friend who in addition to being white is a fairly pleasant benign looking fellow uh, got out and the officer says "Uh, "All right, don't have time to deal with you now but slow down he drove away we both looked at each other, whoa, <laughs> got off easy on that one. And that incident reminded me there have been a couple of times in the past several years when I'd been pulled over for an infraction and uh, let off with a warning. And I can't help but wonder how those events would have played out if I or my friend had been non-white. And I'll never know for sure, but probably not quite so well. So all this got me thinking about racism in general and, and white privilege in particular. And it occurs to me that, People who are privileged in some way usually don't want to be reminded of that. Uh, I know I don't. Uh, The idea being, what right do I have to be happy, or healthy, or financially secure, or whatever, when so many other people are not? And in the past, I've told myself with some success that uh, well, everybody has a right to that stuff, including me. It's just that some people's rights are denied. Uh, Okay, But when I get to the, the white privilege piece, do I have a right to that? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, In a sense, that is a gift, arguably a perverse gift I have received. And while I'm not personally responsible for the racist attitudes and actions of people who were here long before I was born, those people in many cases laid the groundwork for the white privilege and the benefit I experience today. But for all its advantages, being white is not without challenges. For some time now I've been of the opinion that if you want to put somebody on the defensive, especially a white person, accuse them of being a racist. And more often than not they'll bend over backwards trying to prove to you that they're not. Well, I have a confession of sorts because I'm here to tell you that I am a racist. But then I believe everybody's a racist. You, me, Hitler, Mother Teresa, you know, we're all racist, it's just a question of degree. So the question is not are you a racist because the answer is yes you are in my view. Uh, a much more useful question would be, where do you place yourself on the continuum of racism on which we all reside, with the possible exception of small children. who haven't quite figured that out yet, but uh, they will. Now, on the relatively mild side, you've got folks who are maybe a little uncomfortable around people from another race, and that can advance to racial pride, ethnic pride that can sometimes get clannish. Uh, ever told a racist joke? Would you buy a used car from someone from another race? How would you feel if your brother or your sister or your child were to marry one? For most of my adult life, I've been an actor in community theater and I've also done some professional work. And I've occasionally asked myself the question, what would I do, how would I handle it if I were cast in the role of a hardcore racist, or really a bad guy? And if I were to do that role and do it well, it would require that I reach deep down and dredge up something pretty damn ugly. And I'd undoubtedly pay a price for that, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, physically. And part of me says, no, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't bring myself to do that. But another part of me is afraid that just maybe I could. And with any luck, I'll never find out. And as far as my family's attitude on this subject, uh, race relations were, were kind of a non-issue for the most part. My parents prided themselves in being uh, rather liberal in that department. For a time, we had a black dentist. Uh, We were on very friendly terms with the black maid who worked for our next-door neighbor. Casual encounters with people from another race were uh, cordial. And while they were not specifically racist, my parents were, in a sense, classist. They were both very well-educated, intelligent, articulate, And they tended to have a dismissive attitude about people who they considered to be lacking in those areas, Uh, blue collar workers, people without a lot of formal education, people who worked with their hands. And that had the potential, at times, to overlap with racism. And since that was part of our family culture, I'll confess I occasionally participated, but rarely wholeheartedly, because there was something about that attitude that I couldn't fully embrace Uh, I couldn't fully support and as I got older I realized it was in part because in a sense I live in both worlds on the one hand I have a graduate degree for a number of years I was a college speech instructor I'm an actor I listen to NPR but I also uh, (laughs) live in a single wide mobile home in Texas I live drive an old pickup truck and a lot of the people I associate with on a daily basis come from the ranks of the uh, working class Now, I realize I'm a white guy talking to a largely white group, and while I believe it's possible for white folks to develop an intellectual understanding and even sophistication about racism, it's not part of their cultural DNA like it is with African-Americans or other minority groups. And there are several demographic realities worth noting. We are approaching a time when white people will no longer be the majority racial group. Most estimates put that as happening somewhere around mid-century and it's already happening in several states, certainly including California, where the 2020 census reports that non-Hispanic whites comprise only about 35% of the population. But for all its challenges, our diversity has been, and I believe will continue to be, our strength. Early in World War II, Hitler is reported to have believed that the United States would not pose much of a problem for him, because in part he thought of the United States as as a mongrel nation, you know, a lot of different religions and races and ethnic groups, and he just didn't believe that this disparate group of people would be able to unify behind one cause. Well, It turned out he was a little bit wrong about that. Uh, Of course, we're far from being paragons of virtues ourselves, we had a segregated military, internment camps for the Japanese, we were not fully on board with the Jewish plight in Europe until somewhat late in the game. But in spite of all that, our diversity was an important part of our strength. But with the political and cultural polarization today, allowing our diversity to consume us rather than strengthen us is a real possibility we need to guard against. So let's not vindicate Hitler, let's not prove him to be right. I said earlier that we're all racist. Let me add that people have a right to be racist. There's no law against it. I remember back in the 1960s, one of the leaders of the Civil Rights Movement made the observation that if you're a racist, you got a problem, that's okay, It's okay, you got a right to that problem, but when you're around me, you better keep it to yourself. The question becomes, what do you do with your racism, however benign or malignant it may be? A uh, classic example would be a police officer who sees a young black male driving an expensive car. Car might be stolen, better check this guy out. Now there was a time when that kind of thing was not only allowed but encouraged. The officer would be considered remiss if he didn't pull the guy over. Nowadays that kind of profiling and institutional racism is no longer tolerated, at least not officially. So now if an officer sees a young black male driving an expensive car and they say to themselves, hey that car might be stolen, but they don't pull the guy over, well that's still a racist attitude but they at least didn't act on it so in that case they succeeded in keeping it to themselves. But a lot of white folks, and I'm one of them, lead fairly insular lives and may rarely be put to the racist test in any significant way. And as I was preparing this talk, I asked myself, when was the last time I was faced with a racially charged situation? Now, I have had unpleasant experiences with people from another race. But at least I tell myself, it wasn't the person's race that was a problem. It was their behavior, what they were doing. Also, it occurs to me that skin color and physical features, that's, that's superficial, it's that's cosmetic. You know, it's the cultural differences, the differences in communication style, the differences in personal experience that pose the most significant challenges. But having said that, how many times have you said or heard someone else say, I don't see color, or color doesn't matter, or worse to that effect? Now I understand that statement is usually well intended and meant to convey the idea that a person's skin color isn't important, but it, rather it's their, their character. You know, their ethics, their morals. Well, uh, I do see color, because a person's race, their ethnicity is part of who they are. You know, it's not the only part. It may not be the most important part, but it's part of who they are. Just like their age, gender, sexual orientation is part of who we are. When the Black Lives Matter movement got started, the often heard rejoinder was, well, all lives matter. Yes, of course, all lives matter, but that's not the point because for a lot of years black lives didn't matter, at least not as much. And I mean that literally, mathematically. Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution stated that for the purposes of congressional representation, slaves would be counted as three-fifths of a free individual. And that provision was repealed in 1868 by the 14th Amendment, but still to say all lives matter, however well intended, dilutes the message and misses the point. I think, though, that most people have their heart in the right place and are genuinely motivated to seek harmony and understanding of other races, cultures, ethnic groups, but not everyone. I remember during the 2008 presidential election, a reporter from NPR was conducting an informal exit poll, and she was in West Virginia, and she asked a man who he'd just voted for, and he gave her an answer I don't think she was expecting. In kind of a West Virginia drawl, this guy says, "Uh, well. I don't vote for no colored. I don't believe a black man should be telling a white man what to do. Toward the end of the movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, there's a scene where the new principal is telling the fine arts department that uh, due to budget cuts, their department is basically going to be discontinued. And at that point, Mr. Holland speaks up and he says, you know, our old principal, the woman that you replaced, the woman who was here for 30 years that we all knew and loved, she would have fought this. And the new principal says, she would have lost. And Mr. Holland says, yes, she would have lost, but she still would have fought it. Now, I don't mean to suggest that fighting racism is a losing battle, but it'll never be completely won, either, in my view, because, like that guy I was talking about earlier, they're out there. They're a force, and they're not going away. And perhaps the best we can hope to accomplish is to push these attitudes to the sidelines for a time with the understanding that they'll never be completely disappearing and will occasionally come roaring back in various forms. But rather than be discouraged by that, I try to take comfort in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King when he said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Mary Pifer, who wrote Reviving Ophelia, once said that people are most alike in the way they feel and least alike in the way they think. People haven't changed fundamentally for thousands of years. We all have the same basic needs, desires, emotions. But how you think is very much affected by when and where you grew up, who was around you, what was the social, cultural context of your upbringing. And it's important to remind ourselves that just because someone is racist doesn't mean there aren't many other good things, loyal, hardworking, loving. You know, people are complex. So what do we do about all this? UUs have a long history of taking a stand against racism, and as an association, as a denomination, we've been very well organized and have influenced immigration reform, civil rights, engaged in humanitarian outreach programs all over the world, and this will undoubtedly continue. But what do we do here as individuals? And the answer is, I don't know exactly. I do know that for me, The best approach is personal, one-on-one. And just to come full circle on this driving while white thing, one of my many talents is that of a school bus driver. And when I'm in Houston, I work part-time for one of the larger districts out there. And in my work environment, there are a lot of Hispanics, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, other ethnic groups. In fact, white males are a definite minority. And I've had the good fortune to get to know some of these people pretty well. And at first glance, some of them may seem unremarkable but they have their stories. One kindly old man used to be a colonel in the South Vietnamese Army. Somebody else is a cancer survivor. We've got retired police officers, single moms, people who've come from other parts of the country and other parts of the world to make a a life in Southeast Texas. And as I talk to these people and hear their stories, I'm usually surprised and often impressed. I believe We experience things that are consistent with the lessons we're meant to learn in life. And part of my journey is to learn how to have healthy relationships with people I encounter. I'm not a joiner, you know, I'm not especially passionate. So you're not likely to see me marching in protest or joining a grassroots movement in support of racial equality. But hopefully you will see me making an effort to know and appreciate other people and letting them get to know me and i'll conclude by saying that i realize it's relatively safe for me in this place and in this time to take a stand against racism but if i'd lived in the south during the civil rights era what would i have done would i have had the social courage to stand up and be counted or would i have been quietly and safely disapproving and that's another one of those questions the answer to which i'll never know but Thanks to the courage and sacrifices of people who came before me, I have the privilege and the luxury to be able to talk about it. So thank you for listening.